The Burger Creek Productions 15 Minutes of Fame podcast features a threesome with Shannon and Ryan of the Washington-based pop-punk band, Bored with Fire. Here's their song, Seven. I'm with the uh, the Burger Creek Productions 50 Minutes of Fame podcast. I suppose that's what its title is now that we're well into season two. I have Shane and Ryan from Spokane, Spokane, Washington. Uh, Bored with Fire, uh, Spokane. Is it Spokane or Spokane? I'm I'm on the East Coast. Spokane. It is Spokane. Spokane. Okay. Is that a heavily debated thing? Like, do people often mispronounce that, or is it not? Is that not? Uh, if, am I just am I just an, an asshole? <laughs> it, it, it's often. Uh, mispronounced i would say so okay well well welcome so essentially i have both guitarists and both vocalists for the band is that right correct excellent um who so let me ask you this which of you well how does the songwriting process work with two vocalists do 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 either of you find yourselves writing lyrics for the other you know actually 95 percent of the time shane you know, he, he comes to practices with a new idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's usually a riff or, you know, something like that. And we'll you know, throw it out there and then we just kind of jam on it for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and usually the first time around, we're just, you know, messing around with it, coming up with progressions. Uh, and then usually with that, Shane will go back and he, you know, generally writes all the lyrics. And usually he'll just write it all kind of a, you know, it's all his lyrics, but then we end up breaking it out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'll do some of those backups, and then we we add other things as we go along. So nice. Now, have you have the two of you? Have you had? Do you have any music experience together outside of the band, or is this kind of the first foray for the two of you? Um, you know, writing music together. Yeah, this is uh, this project, the Board with Fire project, was is the first time that Ryan and I have worked together. We met each other through a a musician that I had been talking to that had been playing drums and at the, you know, kind of the beginning of this project, it was a drummer and I talking and then right away he was like, Hey, I have a guy that I played in another band with in the past. And uh, let's see if he's interested. And from the first time we kind of rehearsed together, Ryan and I knew that our writing styles just complement each other so much. Our playing styles are similar, but different, but we both have, uh, strengths that the other one may not have and so it kind of it makes the writing process to be honest the easiest of any another another person that I've dealt with well it sounds I it sounds good like you you guys it's like almost elements of like face-to-face jawbreaker like you guys have this really great sound what I guess like I'm wondering 
how <laughs> does anybody actually get bored with fire? I don't know. Like I'm, I might be a pyro, but like, I don't think I've ever been bored with fire. Um, <laughs> where <laughs> did, were, were there any band names that you would, that you, that didn't make the cut? Like, w- how did you land on board with fire? Because I find it, I find it very interesting. It, it fits almost that, like the three syllable, like punk rock names. Right. right. So, and, and it's a, it is, a, it's a great name. It's a great name. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, titling the band was a lot, lot more difficult and took longer than anything that I'd ever dealt with before. When we had at the, at the time the the players in the band, yeah, we we went through so many, and and I don't understand why it took so long because I'm the kind of guy where it's just like no matter what, just name the thing and people will get used to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at any good band. Um, kind of in the style of genre that we play, a lot of them are just nonsense names, but you get used to it and that's who you identify with. So I was the one just like, I don't care. Let's just pick something. And then other members were a little bit more in depth with it, but I just wanted to move past that mm-hmm. because I knew that no matter what we were going to get used to it. And hopefully people that follow us did, but yeah, there was quite a few. We kind of started a little list and had like a dozen or so. And, um, I, I think rem- I remember talking through the list and we couldn't really decide. And then you kind of just showed up like about board of fire. And we're just yeah. like, that's, that's cool. And, yeah, that's, went, oh, that's cool. And, and to be honest, Lou, I don't even remember where, when I came up with it, where it came from, but um, yeah, it was just in the jumble list. And some, somehow as the list kept getting shortened and a lot of them taken off, that one kind of hung in there for a couple rounds. And then next thing it was like, does everybody just like this one? Let's just move forward. And that's what we did. I think so. Nice. Yeah, it's. It, 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 I feel like it's one of those things too, and and maybe that's with everything. You know, like whether it's song titles, um, anything, any any label, um, any official name. It's like when you know, you know, and then that's just it. Because I, because right. I do find that fascinating. Like the idea of whatever the project is. You know, first first and foremost, the music will speak for itself. People get used to it, right? But. Um, also being like somewhat aware, like, oh, well, let's not just pick, we don't want to call ourselves like the butts or something, you know, like let's, let's put some, some, some sort of thought into this. So it's cool to hear that you guys landed with board with fire because it's, it's got a good ring to it. It looks good, especially the logo too. Did you guys design like the logo with the circle and the match? Was that you guys? Was that somebody else who was responsible for that? Cause it's perfect. It's perfect aesthetic. Yeah, actually, you know, Shane's got pretty heavy graphic design background and you know from the beginning he immediately started you know kind of toying around with that uh most of the stuff we have he's come up with and it's we think it's pretty cool so yeah no it works it's very that it's that level of i i hate to use the word professionality but it's profession it's all ends of it because I'm sure that you guys have played (laughs) i'm sure you guys have played with listened to and seen bands where they're very good musically, but the other, like the other aspects of being a band, because it's not just about that. <laughs> it's not just about being good at playing music. You have you have to be able to have some level of social skills, some level right. of networking, some level of organization, some some level of accountability. Despite what crust punk, you know, dinks might tell you, it's like you there has to be a level of accountability in some degree. So it's it's cool sure. to see that all of those aspects seem to exist with you guys. I haven't seen you play live yet, but um right. but 
seem you seem you seem like a, a, a solid unit, I suppose. Not to sound like that's a euphemism for anything, but no, you guys you guys seem to to, to have it together. Um, I spoke with uh, a member of a band from Washington, and that person had a very interesting outlook or hot take on Nirvana. And I'm curious for each of you, what is your hot take on Nirvana? Overrated or do they deserve the hype that they've they've come to achieve? Because this is coming from somebody from the East Coast. So I'm wondering what you guys think. So that's, that's an interesting one for you to bring up. But uh, so my generation, uh, you know, my, my older brothers listened to like Poison and Rat and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which, you know, to, now I think that stuff's kind of cool. But when, when Nirvana came out, that was the first thing for me that was like, this is for me, you know, mm. this is something not, and it's funny you brought up face to face earlier too, because that was one of my favorite bands, but just punk in general, but just, you know, that alternate, you know, rock sound uh, was very profound for me and really felt like it was something that was mine. So. Hmm. Yeah. And for, for me, Lou, I wasn't really into Nirvana. In fact, I mean, obviously you'd heard them a lot growing up, I was kind of more into what came after Nirvana, meaning what you're talking about, like face-to-face, no use for a name, no effects, stuff like that. But it's interesting that just recently in the last couple of years, I've been diving more into them and kind of a grown uh, newer appreciation for Kurt, especially in just the battles that that he had and kind of hearing the stories of um, what he had to do overcome if that makes sense to Mm. be able to because you know he was kind of thrown into this mainstream and just kind of his reaction to it i think is a pretty incredible story upon itself especially when you're talking about like the what was it mtv live or the the live performance yeah and uh just dealing with his personality i think is something that will never have happen again so well, in in I I agree I agree with that because especially what was very interesting is I think not necessarily from the onset but using the example of that MTV Unplugged, it's like mm-hmm. not only did they feature a myriad of like musicians that probably ninety percent of the people sitting in that audience they didn't know they didn't know who the Meat Puppets are like let's be realistic like they probably didn't know who that was the, Pat Smear playing guitar with them from the Germs. I guarantee you that audience probably was like, who is that guy? <laughs> you know, like, right. so, so it's, it's really cool to, to almost that like appreciation, like a nod to these, these are the bands or these are the musicians that either I played with that got me into music, that kept me playing music, that helped me along the way. It's cool to see that he didn't really get caught up in a lot of the other BS that sometimes is accompanied with being thrown into the mainstream. And mm-hmm. as you said, like, at least from the documentaries and interviews, there's definitely a lot that that took a toll. So for the two of you, what is one band or artist that changed your life that most people wouldn't know changed your life? Hmm. Um, actually, for me, it was probably the punk band Propagandi. Really? Um, it was very, I don't know if you've even heard oh, of yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How to okay. Clean Everything's insane, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, you know, very, very um, detailed and complex technical. guitar riffs. Technical, technical, yes. And I, I like the political part of it, and it just it really appealed to me. <laughs> um, but that was what really 
you know, I, I, was, I said earlier about Nirvana being my thing, but propaganda just really turned me on to punk in general. So, Interesting. Yeah, and for me, Lou, um, 100%, this is an easy one. It's the band Melancholin. Um, <laughs> I think Nikolai Sarevic has instilled into the world that you can sing about a everyday normal activity and half the time it cannot make sense and you can write some really good mu music about them. That band's from Orebro, Sweden. And if you listen to Old Melancholin, like the stuff that came out in Life in a Plate or uh, Same Old Tunes, just the type of <laughs> content that he wanted to sing about is, is just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think that band is so amazing is they can show up to a warp tour in 98, 99 and sing about go move your car and it works. So I always thought that he's someone as a songwriter that I've looked up to. Um, I don't think it, I don't think people would like listen to our stuff and be like, Oh, he listens to a lot of mountain calling. But um, for a lot of years that, that was pretty much the one band that I was always on repeat in my truck. Hmm. Now, I know it was mentioned earlier in, in particular, like, you know, older, I think Ryan, you had said your, your older brother listened to like, like eighties hair metal type stuff, yeah, right? With, with, for, for the both of you, was it some, like, was it your friends? Was it hearing something on like a college radio station? Like, how did you come across this? Did somebody show it to you or was it like literally you struck gold and, and heard something on like, you know, a radio, like a random radio station? Like what really ushered in that change? Like, Oh wow. How did, what is this? Yeah, yeah. For me, it was that that propaganda album is called "How to Clean Everything." Actually, and a friend of mine took me to the local record store here in Spokane. It was called Four Thousand Holes. It was a pretty iconic record store here in Spokane. But that was one of the first records I ever got. And he's like, "Oh, you you gotta check this out," and um, that's what really got me into that. And from then, it's just you wanted to hear it all, you know. So, right. Yeah, and for me, um, it was my older brother Travis, who's a couple years older than me. Um, I am from Spokane, but when I was young, my dad moved to San Diego. So I went to elementary, middle school, high school down in San Diego. And so down there, it was right when Blink released their first record. And it was like in the same year or the same two year spree, it was like Dookie came out from Green Day. The Offspring had theirs. And so like that whole thing just went up. I mean, it just went up in flame, you know, or just popped. And all of a sudden, that was it. And I remember my brother came into my room and handed me, I think it was Dookie, and I was listening to, like, GNR or something, you know, in fifth or sixth, seventh grade, something like that. And he goes, listen to this. And then pretty pretty much from then on, that's a bond that he and I had. Um, you know, we were pretty fortunate to go to high school with a lot of, you know, up-and-coming pretty good bands. We had live music was insane down there in the mid-'90s. And... Um, so it was definitely my older brother. We went to tons of shows together. That's cool. And, and that's very interesting, too, to hear a little bit about some of the influences uh, for the both of you as well, because it's not that they're vastly different, but they have different like they've they've each of those bands, I think, in, in their own respect, have had their own impact on the, the punk scene, as it were, if you want punk scene, alternative music at large, whatever it might be. 
Um, and that was that for me, that was one of the big things with propaganda is like the technicality behind it, how intense something can be, but also how the, the, the message that they're putting out there, it's not just kind of, you know, the simplistic stuff, whereas on the flip side, as you mentioned with Melancholy, it's like taking seemingly everyday things and, and making a song about it and making a catchy song about it. Right. This is kind of a weird question because of how different 2020 was and, I'm curious, like going into 2021, how how is the band measuring success? What does that look like for you going into the new year? Um, I mean, I think, you know, we haven't played. We played a festival in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho last August. But besides that, we haven't really played live since about a year ago. Um, and kind of our direction through this whole COVID um pandemic was we kind of had a talk at the beginning and it was like you know what are we going to do because at that time we were just trying to play as many shows um in front of people as many as possible and see the crowd grow right like mm -hmm. that's a pretty easy gauge to be able to tell if you're you know if what you're doing is working mm -hmm. um so then basically besides the one festival that we headlined last year we haven't played a show so what i'm hoping happens is is as we release more you know, content, videos, um, EPs in the last year, I'm hoping that we see, you know, in a physical reaction to more people at shows, but um, I guess time will tell. Right, right. Do you have, um, so what can we, actually, this is probably a good little segue. Um, what what can we expect coming up? Uh, what's the first thing coming up in, in 2021 as far as at anything you guys want to plug as far as upcoming EPs, video drops, anything like that? Yeah, we've got a like a tentative schedule for that we, we supplied to allegedly a couple of weeks ago. What we're, what we're kind of looking at is a plan that kind of goes out to like the beginning of summer. Uh, we've, we've already made our uh, studio arrangements. So we're going back into Amplified Wax here with Jimmy Hill. Um, it's the end or middle of April. I don't have the exact dates, but, uh, we're going to go back in for a couple of days. We're going to do another EP. Um, I think we know what we're going to record, but it's not a hundred percent decided yet. Um, but we'll for sure have in May, a new EP coming out of probably two songs, kind of the same recipe we've been doing. And then we'll work with summit studios and to do two videos for that. And that's kind of, as far as releasing music, that's in videos, that's kind of what we have on the table um, for the next couple months. Nice. And, you know, with uh, with allegedly, I, I did want to speak about, speak to them uh, very, very briefly. Um, shout out to Red. He's awesome. Um, you guys signed with them or announced that you were signing with them, I believe, February 3rd. Um, and in the, in the specific post, I think it was a Facebook post that I had stumbled across, that you mentioned that that this was exciting because you know you're able to quote work with a label that shares the same values and goals with our band. Now, in your own words, uh, you know what kind of sealed the deal? What what really drove uh, drove you guys to to land with with allegedly? What what about the label? I think probably the number one thing that I got when I spoke to Red because I interviewed with him it was like an hour and a half or so on the phone. Um, I think he's kind of on the same journey as me. You know, he plays in a pretty successful band that's been around for eight or 10 years or so, but he has a lot of experience as a participant in the industry rather than um, someone that maybe hasn't been in a band. And then they're trying to, 
you know, go through that. So I think um, he will know or at least be able to recognize when we have ups and downs, the things that we deal with, that I think he's been there. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Oh, um, yeah. For no matter what it is. I, I just I I just feel like with their with their whole group of people that they're just real people and that their expectations of us are come across so we kind of know what the band's expected and then vice versa what what we expect out of the label so i think you know what we're really looking for is a partnership right like this is a tough road Hmm. this is where tons of people spend a ton of time you know writing music getting it recorded doing all that the financial part and so just having someone there on your side to kind of help you in some of the parts that you're like, I'll admit we're not very good at social media. We just suck at it. Well, they're good at that. So, you know, they can help us and they already have sent out emails of like, Hey, this is good ideas of things to think about. And especially with social media changing all the time with, you know, new apps and this and that kind of having someone help and not that, not that they just help with social media, but um, yeah, like being able to just help us in our shortcomings. Excellent. Now, one of your latest tracks released back in November 2020. We're looping back around. I know I mentioned before we kind of started really uh, rolling here with the interview. Um, you released a track. Uh, it was a two track. There was a two track EP, um, and one of the songs on there was "Altruistic Truth." And I have a couple questions for you uh, about that. Now, there is a music video that's associated with it, and. Throughout the course of the video, there is a number of individuals in these really intense, like, steampunk-like outfits. Dude with a plaid mask, like, gas mask, stuff like that. Was that something... Did you guys rent those for the video, or is that from, like, your drummer's, like, personal collection? Like, it it looks great, and I'm curious, like, did you also... Was that you guys behind the masks? Yeah. Yeah, it was. How hot was it outside when you guys recorded, or was it not too bad? Yeah, so the fu- funny deal with that is I'm actually the one with the, the kind of the bird face mask on, but nice. I, I actually got, I had got that one for someone as a gift at Christmas, kind of a, just a, a funny thing. And we were talking about what we would wear for that video, and I was like, oh, we could do a steampunk thing. And I sent out that a picture of that mask, and everybody's like, oh, we could put something together for that. And I mean, it was it was a combination of thrift stores, and you know, I I bought a couple things online, and we just kind of threw those together. But it, it, I, I thought. It was kind of fun, actually, for me to put that together. So, yeah, Lou, I'm the one wearing the gas mask with the goggles, <laughs> and, and you would you would think that, I mean, when you hold them, you look at them, you're like, dude, these look like they're hundreds of dollars, and and then when you actually like look into it, it's like a lot of it's like 3D printed and like <laughs> held together by like drywall screws on the inside. But whoever it was, I want to give a shout out to the Etsy person because I think it was like 29 bucks for wow. the goggles. And they look incredible. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. We we jokingly have been like, dude, we need to play some shows in these things. So nice. Um, yeah. No, it, it looked good on this end. That was one of the things I saw. I was like, wow. I was like, this, everything looks awesome. I, it's like I gotta know if this belong if this is someone's like collection, and like how <laughs> warm it was because like that bird mask. That was like a the bird one in particular, like the plague mask or whatever. That was yeah. like a full outfit, was it not? Oh yeah, yeah. He's yeah. The he just pulled it out of his closet. So when we started kind of being like, "What else you got in that closet, dude?" <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Now, for for both of you, um, 
so this this question kind of revolves around like truths. And uh, I, I'm wondering for each of you, you know, what was one of the hardest truths that you've had to accept thus far in each of your own respective music careers? Uh, one of the hard truths. Mm-hmm. I got mine. So I guess I always looked up to guys in bands when I was younger, you know, like middle school and stuff and thought just how amazing it, it would be to be in that situation. And I bet those guys are just, you know, extremely happy because you see them up there and they're performing and stuff. And I, I just come to a realization because I've had shows where I've showed up to play and honestly just didn't really feel like it when you, you know, maybe when you get up there, you feel better, but I don't know. It's just that people are all human mm-hmm. and that when you see someone or you, you uh, listen to someone's music, you probably think, Oh, they probably think this is the best music I've ever, you know, wrote or put out. And then that realistically, they probably hear imperfections in their own and just that music doesn't need to be perfect. Mm. I like that <laughs> a lot, actually. So what do you, I know that uh, I, I know it's a tough. Qu- I know it's a tough question to answer, but it was specific. I designed it that way. <laughs> sure. I, I think for me, I would say probably kind of a current hard truth is, you know, when I talked about, you know, when you again bring up Nirvana back then, you know, back when I was into that when I was younger, you know, especially in Spokane that was what everybody did was they, they would have these church shows where everybody would go out and uh, they would have these churches where there would be these awesome local punk bands. And it was just a really, really cool scene. And, you know, you kind of grew up with that. And then here we are doing it. And I wish the scene was the same as that, but you know, kind of a hard truth is just, it's hard to get people out like it used to be. Mm-hmm. So I, I wish there was a way we could figure out to get, people motivated to do that again but um but yeah it's just you know getting people out to go to shows i mean of course we haven't had any shows for a while but uh mm-hmm. i just i remember that was such a cool scene back then and I, there's a way we could get back to that somehow how was that walking in like one of your first shows or i what was that like walking to a church for the first time like and going to a punk show like how cool was that <laughs> It was cool, and I, I actually remember some of these churches, these things where I was like, how did they let this happen? Like, I don't know how they <laughs> allowed it to happen, but, but I think a lot of it was, you know, they are like, hey, this is a thing for, you know, kids are into this, and, you know, that's, this is what we have to do to get kids to come out type thing, and um, it, they were always really fun, so. Did you ever, like, did, did you ever go to a show that got, like, out of hand at a church? Or was everyone pretty, pretty respectful because it's like, hey, if we mess this up, we can't come back here, you know? You know, it's it's funny you say that because I remember being in those in those uh, shows. You know, everyone's there with their leathers and their studs, and mm-hmm. but there's some of the most nice, genuine people you ever knew. I mean, you know, it's it's funny because a lot of those people we'd hung out with, you know, grow up to be whatever, but it, it actually wasn't you know hooligans really necessarily. It was mm-hmm. actually really cool people that just enjoyed that kind of music. So, see, I'll. And I'm sure you guys had the same thing out there, but for for me, when like coming up in the scene, I suppose when I was like younger, um, there was the the YMCA shows and the VFW shows, 
Those yeah. are those are always the big ones. Not I don't think we had churches out here. And there were some clubs and stuff that would do all ages, but community centers, that was another one. Um but that's interesting because like I'd been to a couple couple things where it's like things got a little out of not out of hand, but you know, there's yeah. always there's always underage kids like drinking or just doing dumb stuff or you know, whatever. It's it is what it is. But uh I I don't know if I've ever heard church. That's pretty wild. Like, was it like, like a basement kind of thing? Like where they would do bingo and stuff? Yeah, it was always kind of in the basement of a church, like downtown somewhere. Um, That's cool. You know what? So the the other ones I remember are actually Grange halls. We did a couple shows ah. at Grange Hall. Um, it was kind of wherever someone could knew someone that we could play or that you know that it could happen. So. Did you ever? Did you guys ever see that? Uh, well, I guess of the real question is: were you, Did you guys get in the Minutemen at all? No. Okay. So, just a quick aside, because this is about playing shows in weird places. So, there's this there's this really cool documentary that they did called I, I believe it's called We Jam Econo, and it's just this. It follows around Mike Watt, and it's like this little story about the band. Anyway, what they used to do is they would play these like stand up shows or they would essentially not like ad hoc but they would play shows at laundromats and the reason they would do that is because check this out it blew my mind when i actually thought about it there's a, there's a constant flow of electricity you know i played i can't tell you how many times i've been in a basement or a garage playing a show and we trip a breaker right, right. you're at a laundromat it's meant to be overhauled with electricity because of all the dryers and the washers the second thing is they a lot of them are open 24 hours right so yeah you probably you're gonna get it shut down in about 10 minutes if you're you know if you're in like a plaza and there's all these people showing up but i found that to be that blew my mind i was like that is such a good idea and it's that diy like element where it's like it's free we're not paying for the building <laughs> you know let's just show up and play or whatever I've had this theory that because out here, too, in, in New York, we had a ton of venues closed down because they can't support themselves. Right. So I was trying to be somewhat optimistic and say, well, maybe this will force the DIY scene back into the forefront. And when I what I mean by that is legit, like house shows, basement shows, garage shows, whatever it might be, because the people are still going to be doing music. But the venues, like our clubs, our clubs are closed. So it's either there's going to be a new batch of bars that are going to be all of a sudden doing shows, or it's going to be straight up like the DIY, like word of mouth, like whatever, like handing out flyers to somebody. Like, what do each of you think is in store for this scene that is, it's suffering, at least on the East Coast, it's suffering. Yeah, I I, I agree with what you're saying it's kind of one of those things where it's like you don't know what you have until it's gone mm -hmm. yep and, uh, hopefully you know people are i think anxious to get back out and be around people and you know uh go to concerts or whatever and yeah it'll be interesting i i hope that encourages people to get up, get back out there and maybe get some of these going again so yeah i guess the only thing that could kind of go on to that is <clears throat> i guess what I keep wondering is when things do open, that's great. But when are, when is the public really going to want right. to be out? That makes sense. Like just because oh, yeah. a place, just because the government says, okay, we can have shows at 75%, 100%. But does that, is there still going to be lingering fear for people not wanting to be with their shirts off, rubbing up against other sweaty people in a circle pit? You know what I mean? Realistically. So, <laughs> right, right. 
I, I like to pretend that I'm optimistic, but I unfortunately think this is going to be a longer, um, you know, path to where we really were. Um, but I hope I, I hope the DIY stuff comes back though, um, kind of like what you're referencing back to like 20 years ago and stuff. Um, but I yeah I don't know at this point I don't even know what I think. I mean, I'd like to think maybe summertime things will start coming back around. But you know we really have I mean when this all started a year ago, you know we all were hoping it'd only be a few months. You know so yeah it's really hard to know. Well, I think it, it, I find it very interesting that you mentioned um, the just that kind of. Eh, it's with the public. Like, are people even if even if stuff's open, are people going to show up? And yeah. that is something that I think is. It, it, I think that's the real question because mm-hmm. out here, I know you, you guys said you did a show in I, Idaho. Was it over the summer? Yeah, in yeah. August. Yeah. So, so how was were people showing up? Was that well attended? Yeah, it was actually, I think the counter, the guy told me at the end of it that there was over a thousand people came, but they weren't all there at one time. It was a a festival that we applied to play. It was called the Unsigned Artist Fest in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Ed Graves put it on. And basically what it is, you had to be a band that was not signed on a label. And I think he said he had like, I don't remember how many, it was like 50, 55 bands applied. And they're all different types of genre. And uh, we were selected, and we were selected to go on last. And so it started in the early afternoon. It was right on this huge lake, kind of on That's the cool. beach, and they had a stage there. And everybody kind of just sat, um, you know, socially distanced. So you'd have like a blanket with a family on it, and then eight feet, and then a blanket. Now they weren't. It's not like somebody was out there telling them, you know, eight feet, you know, get away. But everybody kind of just came and kind of spaced out. So you're kind of playing for a very large audience as far as how, you know, how big it is. But um, yeah, everybody kind of just kept it safe and it, it went really well. There was no hiccups. Um, yeah. They, they were very happy with, you know, how many people came and stuff, but it was different because we're used to playing in a dark Thursday night at a 10 o'clock we go on. Right. Right. You know, and it's kind of smells bad because there's a lot of bo and instead it's like you're on this lake and everybody's sitting down on blankets so um it was it was different but i i thought it was really awesome That's... yeah and that was kind of in the thick of the unknown of everything mm-hmm. so you know we really didn't know how many people were going to come but we were pleasantly surprised there was actually like i said a lot of people that were anxious to see some music so they the turnout was actually pretty good so that's that's cool i I, I think my hopeful thing is it's and and that's even like dude promoters aren't even thinking about it and even if they are it's tough because like it's like where to do stuff so I'm I'm trying to be I'm trying to be optimistic about that summertime because I know in in New York City or outside of New York City and I think in PA there was a handful of some outdoor type events where it's the same kind of thing it's everyone's outside you know no one's necessarily policing it as far as like hey you know you need to be away but it was kind of this mutual respect we miss seeing live music let's just do this be respectful kind of thing you know um and hopefully that hopefully something happens (laughs) you know and and if not, then we'll just keep waiting, I suppose, and doing music. So I appreciate the, that you that you're an example of a band that's continuing to stay active because that is like critical. It's critical for for the scene, I think. 
Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, we talk to a lot of other bands in the area, and there's a couple that are like us that are using this time proactively to write new music, try to get studio time, try to keep your fans engaged, give them some type of content to kind of, you know, you know, you just don't want all your hard work you did for two years to go away because you take a year off. And, hmm. and um, yeah, we just keep trying to push forward, use this time the most positive we can, which is we're just growing stronger as a band and we're writing better music. And so hopefully when things do open up and people feel safe and ready to go, we've got a couple, you know, collections of music we released since then. And hopefully that translates into a really couple amazing shows where people have been dying to see us live play our new stuff because it's been so long <laughs> and then there's other bands that literally i've talked to a few that they're like well we haven't practiced since covid happened we're just waiting so different theories of thought we'll see who's you know works you know not that we're in a competition but which ones work and which ones right. don't but i'm hoping that there's enough bands around too that you know this goes on long enough people don't play it's going to take a little while to get back in the driver's seat so to say so um yeah, there's. I know a lot of the bands in this area are working really hard, doing the same thing we are, and they're pumped. So I'm hoping we're playing a show every week for six months when it finally opens. <laughs> right. Away, you pack the bags again. Say goodbye to me. A long, long 